Welcome to the Revenge Body Podcast. I'm Maverick Willett, and I've helped thousands of divorcees and single moms get snatched waist, jaw-dropping booties, and confidence that captivates the attention of men in every room, all without dieting, cutting carbs, giving up wine night, or starving yourself. Oh, man. Gonna be a good one today. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Mav. Fresh off a very restful weekend and my boo fangs finally back from traveling. Man, we've done so much travel in the past five, six months. It's nice to just now be done with it for a while, at least till I think March when uh, Haley starts competing. But daggum, y'all. I missed her. We had to get reacquainted. And what I mean by that, get your heads out of the gutter. I mean intercourse. Okay, just kidding. All right. So, of course, we, yeah. All right. So there was that. But connecting, connecting, y'all, is. Oh, man, it's so important to me. I think it's important to any relationship. But for me, I like, I got to, this is probably super annoying as my partner. But I can't just connect with like just any old conversation. I got to be looking you in your soul while talking to you. I got to feel that you're present while I'm present. Like our our souls have to intertwine via mm, intimate conversation for me to feel truly reconnected. And and that's probably pretty annoying, but it's just how I am. So we had to do a little bit of that because, you know, five days without, uh, that sounds kind of sounds kind of needy. Maybe it's not. Whatever. Is there such a thing as needy? I don't think so. Just your needs, right? But I got to reconnect after I haven't seen you for a while. So that's what we did. It was nice. We are, yeah, we're back in the swing of it, y'all. Today, I've got a crazy good episode for you. Those of you who are listening get a little bit before I jump into the episode. So if you don't like this shit, just fast forward through it till I get to the real thing. I put timestamps on these things for a reason. That way, if you don't want to hear me yap my my face hole, you can just fast forward. You know, I like to talk about my life a little bit. I'm wearing a shirt right now. This is going to be visible on the YouTube episode, but it says F-A-F-O. You know what that stands for? It stands for fast and ain't fucking optimal. Okay, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's not what it stands for. It means it means forget about fasting, obviously. <laughs> oh, I'm full of them today. You can tell I'm caffeinated. All right. It stands for fuck around and find out. And if you fuck with a GLP-1 receptor agonist, you're going to find out. the. I'm just kidding. They're not. They're, my take on these drugs is not going to be... And when I say... So anyway, the episode today is about <laughs> GLP-1 receptor agonists, which are Ozempic, Semaglutide, Bunjaro, Wegovi, those things, right? I've gotten asked about these drugs I don't know how many times. So I, you know, I wanted to make sure I was educated enough and I did enough research where I could, where I could actually give uh, an, an informed opinion on them as a fitness and nutrition educator, expert, guider, whatever. And uh, I'm never an expert in anything. The more I learn, the more I learn I don't know. You know, I think that's what everyone, anyone who's actually intelligent will make, will say that, some form of that. It's like, I don't know so much. <laughs> So I'm never going to claim to be an expert, but I'm good at some stuff. And so as somebody who is a voice in this industry and a voice of an evidence-based voice that wants to guide towards common sense, reason, and massive progress because of those things, I do want to speak on these things because these drugs are... I'm, I'm involved in two ways. One, obviously, in the weight loss industry and also with as an owner of a hormone replacement company who will probably offer these drugs in a very responsible way. I feel inclined to speak on them. But before we get into that, yo, Threads, the platform Threads is absolutely insane. 
And I'm purposely snarky because I have found that because Threads is still finding its way as a platform and it's very volatile and it shows you content from like everybody, it's kind of what TikTok used to be, which is a testing ground. I can put a post on Threads and depending on how many people get pissed off by it and triggered and like triggerages in response, that's what I know I need to talk about. So it's a great like testing ground. And that's literally all I'm using it for. I'll make some really like firm polarizing statement. And based on the response that I get, that's what I know I need to make content about. So it's great for that. As a content creator, you want to just use... I use TikTok and Threads as my two testing grounds because on Instagram, I have a more, let's say, tenured audience, meaning they've been... The, the people on Instagram have been following me the longest. It, it has the most amount of people who have been following my stuff. And so you all are typically on Instagram, if you're from that crowd, which the majority of you probably are, you're more, you're more mature. You're more mature. You're more seasoned. You know me a little bit better than some stranger who comes across my shit. And so that's what I need. It's a lot of times when I'm testing content is I need new people to see it. That way I know how much traction it's going to get. I already know that my people on Instagram support me. And generally, st- my stuff on Instagram performs way better than it does on all other platforms. The exception would be Facebook, where it's like this crazy combination of like old older people and 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 also a cultivated audience. So it's like a it's like a 50-50 split. It's like new and seasoned. But on Instagram, most of my stuff does pretty well because it's people who already fuck with me. You already, you already like me. You already understand that I'm not, you know, sometimes I can probably come off as a douchebag, but I'm not a douchebag, right? At least I don't think so. My intentions are pure, right? I say a lot of wild shit and I say a lot of polarizing stuff. I do it purposely to create polarization and create sometimes viral content, but it's all in an effort to attract more eyes to a service that's changing lives, right? So sometimes I, you know, so anyway, that what that leads to is like on threads and TikTok where the audience a lot of times is brand new, man, they get pissed off at some of the stuff I say, but the more pissed off they get, the more I know that I need to talk about it. So then I'll take what was a really like polarizing and sometimes out of context small post, and I'll create a larger piece of content about it, right? For, ex- for example, this is a great one I'm going to touch on. And it's this big like rift between people in the medical community and like nutrition influencers. Now, the latter term makes people cringe automatically, like influencer gross, automatically negative connotation. But like, like it or not, that's kind of what I am sometimes is a nutrition, quote unquote, nutrition influencer. And I don't have formal credentials. I don't have a medical degree. I don't have a bachelor's in nutrition. Also, those things wouldn't make me better at what I do. There's a big discussion that needs to take place here because there's a huge crowd of people that think that people like me don't deserve a platform because they spent thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars on a medical degree or becoming a registered dietitian or whatever it is. And they think that because they did that, I don't deserve a platform and I shouldn't be helping people. And I should have to go to school before I do what I do. Now, it's, it's a very interesting conversation because I am not discrediting the merit or the benefit of those folks, those folks being medical doctors and racial dietitians. They play a great role in society, respectively. They're different roles. I do think that, and, and it's, it's, a lot of it is unfortunately anecdotal because a lot of my experience is based on my experience, like it's, it's a lot of my opinion, I should say, is based on my experience from working with thousands and thousands of people in the gen pop. A lot of those people were misled and given non-evidence-based or 
just plain bad information from medical doctors and registered dietitians on nutrition. On the other hand, there's bad eggs in every single industry. There's bad coaches, a lot of bad coaches. Matter of fact, I would say there's more bad coaches than there are bad doctors and registered dietitians. I will, I will absolutely agree with that. But it doesn't mean that coaches don't deserve a platform. Like if, if that were the case, like if these people who were salty in the medical community had their way, I wouldn't have helped the thousands of people that I've helped. And I've never given anyone bad advice when it comes to nutrition, when it comes to like, and because, and the reason for that is I stay away from medical issues. If you have a legit medical issue, I refer out. I will, I do the responsible thing. I don't try to help someone I shouldn't be helping because I want money. I recognize that's a bad fucking move. And I'm going to refer out. If you have a medical issue, go see a doctor, right? And I've had registered dietitians on my team. I recognize the value of that. I learned from them, right? And nutrition coaches who, you know, have the experience of working with people and developing a relationship and cultivating behavior change are many times as good or vastly better than those who have formal education. There's a lot of formal education that doesn't translate. In fact, I would say most formal education in either of those two spaces doesn't convert necessarily to actually cultivating behavior change in human beings. Because when it comes down to it, general pop who's just trying to get healthier, transform their body, lose weight, be healthier, have a higher quality of life, it comes down to behavior change. My knowledge on cytokines and protein synthesis doesn't mean dick if I can't help 35-year-old Margaret incorporate new behaviors into her life that are going to manifest this new reality she's looking for, which is healthier, better blood work, more energy, cultivating a negative energy balance, which leads to weight loss, right? And the things I'm advocating are all evidence-based. I'm not, the, the craziest thing, here's what, and I'll, I don't want to get off on this because I want to do an entire episode on this, but the thing that really like just like floors me is when these people call me a grifter. That's like their go-to. People in the medical community who you know, have that education or, they own, or there's people that only believe those people. Like they, there's people that don't have that education, but they, they, give, they have this uh, appeal to authority that like, doctors are the only people who should guide on nutrition despite in medical doctors not really receiving much education in nutrition like at all. There's people who label me a grifter, a grifter, aka somebody who is like scamming people, somebody who's, you know, cleverly tricking people into taking their money and not really giving a lot of value in return, right? So that, that's like what they, what they label me. The, the crazy part about that is the ironic part is like, what am I tricking people into? Cultivating a negative energy balance that leads to weight loss and, and improving their quality of life. Oh, wow. I'm really, I'm really scamming people into health. <laughs> it's like, what do you mean? It's, it's just like anything else. It's like you pay for a therapist. You pay for someone to pay for an expert to fix your air conditioning, you, you put plumber. And then if you're trying to cultivate healthy habits... And, and modify your behavior and lose weight and learn how to eat and exercise. Like all these things, like a coach is great for that. Like an ongoing coach who can be there in your back pocket remotely. And, and the thing is like, the other point is we can all work together. <laughs> like I would rather have a doctor working with a client simultaneously. That way they're getting the best guidance from everywhere. You know, you have your doctor for your medical issues or medical concerns or drugs or whatever, and, or, or a registered dietitian who can, help you if you have some specific health challenge like type 2 diabetes, polycystic ovarian, polycystic ovarian syndrome, so, you know, whatever it is, insulin resistance, you know, if you want outside guidance from those folks, get it. You can work with both. Like, you know, so I mean, provided cost isn't your barrier, like you could, you could work with both. That's ideal. And I've done that many times too. 
alongside therapists. Because, you know, a lot of times we, we can't, there's issues like depression, anxiety, et cetera, that we, we can't do work with as, as a coach. We can, we can refer out. And so like, ideally in the best environment, we all refer out respectively, right? Doctors can't go home with their patients. They get like 16 minutes on average to break down how to lose weight. And so they give these blanket recommendations like keto or fasting. That's not always in the best interest of the patient from a nutrition standpoint, right? It's like, oh, what can I, what can I advocate that's going to most likely produce weight loss? Oh, I'll tell you to eat 800 calories. Well, yeah, doc, that'll work, but it's also damaging long-term. It doesn't give them the tools to produce healthier eating, right? So there's like these, all these angles with it, right? There's all these angles. And I, I honestly, if, if I'm being, this is a kind of a snarky thing to say, but another reality of, the, of this is the emotional, erratic, really like volatile responses that I've gotten. It's clear that people don't like that influencers make a comfortable living doing the thing that they went to school for 10 years to try and do. Like it's just, that's a big part of it too. They're like really fucking pissed and jealous that they suck at marketing. They don't have what it takes to be on camera speaking and reach people at scale like a lot of influencers have done. They see it as like, oh, wow, get a real job. Well, maybe you're just not good at being on camera. Maybe you don't have the personality for it. That's okay. Just don't shit on the people who do and who worked at it and created a platform that took years to build, right? So without making it a war, there can be common ground found in like stay in your scope, right? And also... You know, there are people that are capable, will, very will, like capable and good at helping people get healthier that didn't get formal education. That's just the reality. That's the reality we have. Now, again, other layer of it is, okay, cool. Here, I, fuck, I've already done a whole episode on this and I haven't even gotten into the real episodes. <laughs> Last thing I'll say is just like, there's a lot of bad coaches that should not have a fucking platform. They're saying terrible shit that gets people hurt. There's, there are people that have been hospitalized because they took some dumbass advice from influencers. That is the other side of it where I'm like, okay, yes, there needs to be a bar, a bar to entry, right? Because there's a lot of coaches who shouldn't, shouldn't have a platform because they're saying dumb shit. Like Paul Saladino, who cherry picks studies, cherry, cherry picks like one sentence out of a study to advocate an entire dietary approach like carnivore. Meanwhile, he's selling carnivore supplements on the side. You know, it's like there are some really just shitty people out there who have, in fact, given advice that has led to people getting hurt or killed. That's the fact. That's, that is a scary fact. And that is why there does need to be some checks and balances somehow. I don't know what those are because I don't have the answers. I really don't, right? Anyway, I thought that was interesting. We're going to get into the episode now. <laughs> Let's talk about GLP-1 receptor agonists. GLP-1 receptor agonists. I've been asked to do this video or produce some content on these GLP-1 drugs, such as Wigovi, Munjaro, Ozempic, semaglutide. What are they? What do they do? Should you take them? I am not a licensed physician. I am not a medical practitioner. I'm not a doctor. I work with the gen pop. I, may, I help people in the gen pop cultivate the behaviors that lead to a healthier life via sound evidence-based nutrition, right? That's what I do. I coach people through behavior modification with foods, with exercise, so that we can find a very simple blueprint for you to live by via the, the values that lead to better health. Now, that being said, I also own and operate a bioidentical hormone replacement therapy clinic. So I'm involved in this discussion in two ways. And so a lot of this is just my opinion. A lot of it is based on data. I'm going to pull from PubMed. I'm going to base a lot of uh, my opinions and stances on these drugs on the actual data. 
So, and a lot of you will probably be surprised with my take on these drugs. I'm going to look at it from all sides. Let's get into it. Now, what are GLP-1 receptor agonists? So, glucagon-like peptide 1 is an incretin secretory molecule. Super fancy scientific word. They're widely used in treatment of type 2 diabetes, and they're most widely known for weight loss, right? There's a lot of things they do. They have, you know, have the promotion of isolate B cell proliferation, a lot of scientific terminology here, but they do reduce neuroinflammation. They promote nerve growth. They're anti-infectious, cardiovascular protective. They have metabolic regulatory effects. I'm sure most of you expect me to absolutely trash these drugs, but if I'm being completely honest, I'm not against GLP-1 receptor agonists. Matter of fact, we're very likely going to offer GLP-1 receptor agonists as slave hormone solutions in a very responsible way, provided our clients use our dietary recommendations while using them. The fact is, the majority of you are going to do them regardless. You might as well do them safely, and we can help you do that. But why would I ever advocate these drugs? Well, they're helping a lot of people, type 2 diabetics in particular. A lot of people are more predisposed to storing visceral fat, whether that's due to genetics affecting their hormones, genetics affecting physical stature and, and thereby limiting their ability to move and exercise. A lot of people are ignoring the fact that there are people that just really aren't born to be athletic or, or to run or to exercise or to lift weights. Like a lot of people are put together in a way that doesn't make them super able body. They, you know, and, and this, this is something that a lot of people don't talk about. Like it, some people have one limb shorter than the other one. Some people have spinal issues. A lot of people have issues that prevent them from just being super active people. And honestly, like the toxic tone deaf side of the fitness industry is, is all about like no excuses. And they'll like repost a, a video of a guy in a wheelchair who's jacked and be like, what's your excuse? Like, shut the fuck up. Like, what a stupid thing to do. You, you look so dumb when you, you repost shit like that. Or, or you're like, we all have the same 24 hours. Shut the fuck up. No, we don't. Some like Gymshark clad 21-year-old girl with a rib cage tattoo and a fucking first form sponsorship who doesn't really have to work hard to stay skinny and who literally can live at the gym because she's on mommy and daddy's income. Can't really say she has the same 24 hours as a single mom of four who is breastfeeding two of the four and it has to clean cornflakes out of the carpet while the kids are sleeping, if they even nap still, provided they're even of napping age. Like, we don't have the same 24 hours. That's fucking crazy. And it's like, and, and then that, those examples are akin to the people who literally just cherry pick one sentence out of a study uh, and then ride that train to, to advocate whatever extreme thing they're at. They're like, whatever tribalist diet they're pushing. Like, like Paul Saladino, the, the carnivore guy, walks around the grocery store shirtless and picks up a fucking stalk of broccoli and will say, this is killing you and here's why. And he'll use some chemical. He'll isolate one little ingredient in the broccoli that in giant doses causes your thyroid to, to convert less thyroid hormone, right? This motherfucker doesn't even realize that you could do that with any chemical, especially the ones in meat, which is the biggest part of the carnivore diet. There are little compounds in meat that in large extreme doses cause cancer, but he's not going to use those studies. He's not going to cherry pick those ingredients from those studies, right? Only the ones that push his narrative. And so like when we actually check the studies that, that, that Paul, people like Paul advocate, they don't actually advocate his point. And sometimes they even negate his point, but he, he can't 
interpret research or actually understand what these studies are. So it's it's like this is the stuff that that, that pisses me off in the fitness industry, right? And why you have to be evidence based, and why there's a big gap with like the things that people understand with the literature. But with the GLP one receptor agonists, the actual data shows there's a lot of people. There's there's just a lot of upside, right? There's a lot of upside for people, especially those who really need the drug, such as people who aren't physically able to be active, or those who are type two diabetic, those with insulin resistance from genetics or hormones or or PCOS and insulin resistance, which are almost the same thing, right? Like there's a lot of people who do in fact benefit from these drugs in some way. Now, all that being said, here's where I, as a fitness and nutrition professional, draw the line with these drugs. No matter what, if you're not physically unable, type 2 diabetic, or have some other severe medical challenge that merits the use of a GLP-1 receptor agonist, and you plan on just injecting this drug as, as, as like a way of half-assing your way to a better body, let me, let me learn you something. On average, it has been found, generally, that 20% or more of the weight loss that comes from these drugs is from the loss of muscle tissue, okay? Why is that? Well, a lot of times, it's, it's akin to being in too sharp of a caloric de- deficit, right? Which essentially is what happens when these drugs kill your appetite. You aren't hungry enough to consume enough calories to maintain muscle tissue. Just a quick breakdown, if your maintenance calories, the, the amount of calories it takes for you to maintain your weight are 2,000, well, an ideal deficit to maintain muscle and lose weight would only be like two to 500 calories below maintenance. Well, if these drugs like Wigovi, like Munjaro, decrease your appetite to the point where you can only consume 1,000 calories, well, that's too steep to maintain muscle tissue, right? So yes, you lose weight, but you also lose muscle tissue and subsequently lose shape and metabolism because muscle helps you burn more calories at rest. So if you're burning less calories at rest, that means you have to move a lot more and or eat a lot less to, con- to continue to produce weight loss. And eventually you'll get to a point where you're eating so little, you're not intaking enough micronutrients or, or minerals or energy to accomplish the things that you need to accomplish from a daily task standpoint, let alone exercise or retain muscle tissue via strength training. Speaking of building muscle, a huge part of body transformation that most people completely overlook is that it's not just about losing weight. That's just one piece. You don't lose weight and look like a fitness model. There has to be shape underneath. You burn fat and then you build lean tissue to to build the shape that you want to see in your body. You can't fuel a fire with no wood. Behavior modification takes time. And humans are very unlikely to cultivate the behavior modification and, and habits that, that need to take place in the short time frame that people in Hollywood and the wealthier parts of the populace are using to, to try and lose weight and then like come off the drug. They're like, oh, I'll only do this for a short time period and then I'll go back to regular life. And, and most people have a limited time frame they do this drug because these drugs are fucking expensive. And sometimes there are side effects, like any drug. But the main point is you can't inject a lifestyle. The predominant outcome we're seeing uh, with folks that, the folks that try and use these weight loss drugs as a shortcut is they're regaining their weight back and then some, and they're worse off than before because while on the drug, they actually lost muscle tissue as well. So now they regain the weight back and it's all body fat and less muscle than before. So they're worse off. And you can't blame the shot if this happens. It's not the shot's fault. 
This was your refusal to, to, to cultivate the behaviors that led you to wanting to do this weight loss shot in the first place. Not to mention, these drugs were developed for people with severe medical issues. Again, like type 2, type two diabetics, right? Or for people with severe physical limitations that hinder their ability to exercise frequently or to even move frequently. So when the wealthier side of gin pop takes these drugs to be trendy and the pharmacies get overwhelmed, and I would know now I'm on that side of things because I own a hormone clinic, it slows down not just the people who need these drugs. It slows down not for just the people who need the, the GLP-1 receptor agonist, but also people who just need hormones and drugs in general. Now you have people who ran out of thyroid meds two weeks ago, and the reason they haven't gotten the refill is because the pharmacy isn't equipped to produce the mass amount of GLP-1 receptor agonists that are now on demand. And there's also the side of this who, where we can like zoom out and say, hmm, if the powers that be wanted a healthy populace, they'd advocate behavior change and nutritional literacy. If they really wanted the health, if, if they really wanted the populace to be healthy and self-sustaining and thriving. Instead, they've once again created the dynamic that they've perfected cultivate disease, invent the cure at scale, charge a premium. Genius business model. Now, I want to talk about side effects because there are quite a few. The most common ones being gastrointestinal symptoms, nausea, stuff like that. There have been concerns raised about you know, pancreatic and thyroid cancer resulting from these drugs, right? Now, however, several meta-analysis failed to make cause-effect uh, relation between the GLP-1s and the development of these adverse effects. Basically, the conclusion of studies, and this is via PubMed, National Institute of Health, like wherever you want to look, the, the instances of cancer between the groups of people who use the drugs, people who don't use the drugs, are roughly the same. I mean, they're, they're pretty much the same. And these are the, the human trials. There has been a uh, occurrence of some, some kidney injury this is mostly because of the hemodynamic derangement due to nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. Again, the most, common the most common side effects are gastrointestinal symptoms such as nausea and diarrhea. There's some site reactions, headache, nasopharyngitis, and these, these usually result in the discontinuation of the drug. The current evidence shows that GLP-1s have no negative side effects from a cardiovascular standpoint, on those with type 2 diabetes. But like most drugs that have just come out, we need more human trials, randomized human control trials. Those are the determinants of the decisions that we make in regards to these things. Not animal studies, randomized human control trials. So as with any drug, there are risks. Most of the big ones have been observed in animals. As someone who is evidence-based, I put my trust in randomized human control trials, not animal or petri dish studies. Those studies are obviously a big part of the scientific process. But just like with nutrition, we can't take what affects a rat at 100 times the dose and extrapolate that to humans. It's just not how it works. So all that being said, if you were to ask me, Maverick, should I do these drugs? Here's what I would say to you. Just with my experience, again, I'm not a doctor. See your doctor, speak to your doctor, speak to your health professionals. They're the ones with the authority, the credentials, and the education to really speak and guide you on these drugs. From a behavior modification standpoint, here's what I would say. 
if you are not going to do this thing long-term, right? If you're not going to take this weight loss shot long-term, and some of them have been approved for long-term use with type 2 diabetics, but for, if, for just people who are looking to lose weight, if you go into this and you take this shot, let's just play it out. You take the shot for six months and you lose 30 pounds. Great. Well, let's look at what produces weight loss from a lifestyle standpoint. You got to move a lot and you got to eat less. At the bare minimum, you got to do those things, right? No Calories in, calories out is not a method. It is a law. People need to understand this. Calories in, calories out is not a method. There's not a single fucking person on this earth who does not lose weight when they consume less energy than they, than they expend. It's, it's a universal law. So when people say, I tried calories in, calories out, and it didn't work for me, that person just doesn't understand how it works. And they weren't actually in a caloric deficit consistently. But at the bare minimum, you have to move a lot and you have to develop some kind of awareness around how much energy you're intaking, okay? Now, in your defense, we aren't taught these skills. Like as in, in elementary school, middle school, high school, they don't teach you how to become aware of your caloric intake. Why? Laziness. And I think it's by design so that, again, we get into that loop of create a disease, offer the cure at scale, right? I'll take off my tinfoil hat now. Some of you know where I'm coming from there. But that being said, you don't have the tools. So as adults, we're left to learn this shit from influencers, from the thing that we have in our hand at 3 a.m. staring at our phone, trying to learn nutrition and trying to learn the law of thermodynamics. It's hard. It's not, it's not something that is readily available. There's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a shit ton of information, but you have to sift through it to find the good stuff, right? You got to watch 17 easy the, easy the influencers before you find your way to me or someone like Ben Carpenter, or someone like someone like Jordan Syatt, someone like Lane Norton, someone like James Smith, someone like Jay Alderson, like these, these people who are actually evidence-based and give sound knowledge. The thing is, we're not as viral as the people who put out the crazy claims, like Paul Saladino. I keep using him as an example. Paul's a fucking urchin. I'm sorry. But that being said, like you have to wade your, th- your way through all this bullshit before you get to the good stuff. And so in your defense, it's not easy to find good information. But that being said, it doesn't change the fact that you have to cultivate certain behaviors in order to produce fat loss. And if you take that drug without cultivating those behaviors as in innate values in your life, if you don't value increasing your protein intake, if you don't value getting stronger, if you don't value walking a lot, and you don't value monitoring your caloric intake to some degree, you're, you're always going to struggle with weight loss and no weight loss shot is going to solve that for you. You can't inject those values into yourself. You, you have to cultivate these values and do it long-term in order to make fat loss a byproduct. That's how body transformation happens. And so if you inject this drug and you don't cultivate these habits, what's going to happen is you're going to lose muscle tissue because if you're not, if, again, if you're not, if your protein intake isn't high, and you're not moving a lot, and you're not strength training whilst on these drugs. And again, I'm talking gen pop here, not people who are physically unable, type 2 diabetics that actually need this drug, and, the, and it does help them. I'm talking for the people who are trying to use it as a fucking easy button, right? If you don't cultivate these behaviors, you're going to come off the drug, you're going to regain all the weight back because you didn't cultivate the habits in the first place. Your 
at that point, you've lowered your basal metabolic rate from the muscle loss and the weight loss because of metabolic adaptation. So now it's so much easier for you to be in a caloric surplus. Let me, let me explain what happens. If before taking the drug, you were burning 1,800 calories, let's just say, at rest, just by living, breathing, just going about your day, and you lose weight and lose muscle tissue, you're now burning, let's say, 1,200 calories at rest or even 1,000 calories at rest. I'm just throwing numbers out there. Now, try to stay under 1,000 calories when your appetite comes roaring back because you're no longer taking these drugs that suppress appetite. You will not only be in a caloric surplus, you're going to be in a hefty caloric surplus. And the higher above maintenance you are when it comes to your caloric consumption, the more body fat you're going to gain, even if you're lifting weights. If you're in a 1,000 to 1,500 calorie surplus on average over time, the majority of the weight you gain is going to be body fat. Very little of it's going to be muscle tissue because it takes time to develop muscle tissue. You can't just regain muscle tissue fast, but you can accumulate that body fat really fast. And so now you're in this position after you've come off that drug and your appetites come back where you not only rapidly regain the weight, you're in a worse position than before. So what I would encourage all of you to do, I'm not telling you to not take the drug. I'm telling you that if you choose to take these GLP-1 receptor agonists, you had better also modify your behavior that led to you wanting to take the drug in the first place. You're going to have to increase your protein intake no matter what. You're going to have to strength train. You're going to have to monitor your caloric intake and choose nutrient-dense foods that satiate you and don't lead to as much caloric surplus from binging or over-consuming calories because they didn't fill you up. You're going to have to walk a lot. You're going to have to have these behaviors as a part of your value system. And if you don't, no shot will save you. You're going to feel like trash. And that is my take on these drugs. I am not saying don't take them. I think that they are a huge innovation in, in science. But where we are missing the mark is cultivating the behaviors that will help you maintain whatever result you get from these drugs. And a lot of people providing these drugs are doing so irresponsibly because of the profit margin. Again, I'm on that side now. I know what it costs to obtain the drugs and I know what they're charging for them. There is upwards of 500 plus dollars of profit on every shot that so of course people are going to want to offer these things in mass like what no like there is no other drug hardly with that kind of profit margin especially in the anti-aging and hormone space and i'm here to tell you that that's the main reason why people are pushing this so much is because of the profit margin and because of the massive financial opportunity there is so just be discerning advocate for yourself Focus on the behaviors you need to change in order to, to cultivate the result you want. And either your results will be better with these drugs and sustainable, or you won't need them in the first place and you'll save a lot of money and potentially side effects. That's my take. I hope this, I hope this was extremely helpful. I appreciate you all for listening. ESV, out of here. If you liked what you heard on this episode, ladies, share it with your friends. And if you want to finally escape dieting culture and get body results that make your ex wish he never mistreated you, check out the link for the Revenge Body Metabolic Revamp. You can find that in the show notes. And remember, ladies, you are powerful.